I have always loved fire. I'm a dude, and, and I don't know what guy does not like fires. So you go to Luby's, and you get the matches, and those matches don't stay in your pockets. Those matches immediately start getting lit. And phosphorus starts going off, and the smoke starts going off, and you start lighting things. Uh, on the record, I have never roasted a marshmallow brown. I go at it. I got good intentions for about the first eight to ten seconds, and then I just stick that whole marshmallow in the flames, and that thing's on fire, and I put it on top of a s'more. Uh, is there any guy in here that has never roasted a marshmallow brown? I've, I've never made it. I need a show of hands from you. Yeah, we love fire, and uh, I love fire in all its varieties. At the stove, around campfires at night, I love the heat of it. You know, on those cold Texas winter nights in the low 60s, you know, just to be around <laughs> a fire, you know, makes it right. I love the way it dances, you know, flames dance. But the things about the fire that I love more than anything is I love its intensity. I don't know how many campfires I've sat around and, and put the styrofoam cho uh, hot chocolate cup and watched that fire just melt it. Or, or to see that log go on the fire, when that fire starts to rage, to watch that thing just take all those burning embers and just absorb it. It's, it's a pretty scary thing. Now, I've never been a Boy Scout, and I'm not here today to talk to you about the mechanics of fires. But our God identifies himself as what? An all-consuming a cloud by day and what? A fire by night. And today I do want to talk to you about one of the most uh, important and powerful fires. I want to talk to you about the fire of family faith. I want to talk to you about what goes on in our homes that ignites a movement of vibrant spirituality so that our children and our homes and our families and our lives get lit up so for generation and for generation and for generation, our children and our families are families that are known by the fire and the presence of God in our lives. Amen for that? Oh, Pastor, why are you speaking on this? Let me just tell you this. Open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 6. And as you're turning to Leviticus chapter 6, I just want to just give you some statistics. 70% of homes, 70% of children in those homes, in Christian homes, in homes that come out of Woods Edge-type families, the Christian statisticians tell us that 70% of kids get their name called and they walk across the stage and they go into college and they leave the faith of their families. Man, I got some skin in the game from the message today. Because I've got three daughters, I got a freshman in college, I got a freshman in high school, and I got a fifth grader, and I wanted to see him walk with God, and I want to see him cross the finish line of faith, loving Jesus till the end. Judges chapter two, one of the most, you don't have to turn there, it's just preacher talk right now. <laughs> Judges chapter two, get the lather worked up. After that generation, what generation? After the generation of the Israelites had all passed away, after that great generation that had scored touchdowns for God and they'd come in and claim the land, after that generation had died off, what does it say? Another generation grew up who knew what? Neither the Lord nor what God had done for Israel. I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, I'm a missionary, and we do things outside the home. And when I come home, I want to vegetate. I'm an introvert. I'm in an extroverted world, but I'm an introvert, and I want to come back to my house, and I want to land in my lazy chair, and I just want to work that clicker 
and watch some inane sports show on TV because I'm exhausted. That's what goes on in my house. It's a tendency in my heart. My kids watch me get excited about the Seattle Seahawks blowing it on the one-yard line. <laughs> they hear my spiritual profanity about how that could ever happen, you know. But where do they see the fire of God in their dad, who's a pastor around the house? You understand what I'm talking about today? Big stuff's on the line. So if you would, stand with me right now and wipe the dust out of your eyes. Some of you opened up to Leviticus, and it's been a long time since you've been to Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus is the killer of read through the Bible in the year programs. <laughs> Genesis, Abraham, faith and fear, Isaac, all that jazz. You're doing good in January. You get to Exodus and the party in the Red Seas. Gets a little weird with the building of the temple. Not all that concerned about, you know, how the drapes in the temple were put together. And then you make it to Leviticus and all the wheels come off. <laughs> Lord, I'm waking up today for just some really good holy laws. I really want to know about how to do a good grain offering in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Doesn't have anything about microwave here. I've fallen in love with Leviticus. And the reason I've fallen in love with Leviticus is because it's God's book about how we're to approach him on his terms. Do you hear me? It's his book on how we approach him on his terms. Jesus is not just another one of the guys. God is not the, the big kahuna in the sky that we hang out with. God is holy. And he will only be approached on, on his terms and not ours. And so Leviticus is all about the sacrifices. Is that you don't walk into God's presence and go, yo, you walk into God's presence over the death of an animal with the implication being that that, that animal was us. And, and you laid your hands on that and the priest would slit its neck as the representation that it requires a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Amen for that? All pointing in the direction of one day what? Is that the reason that you and I today can worship the Lord with such power as Carly spoke about is because Jesus Christ has filleted himself for us. Jesus does not see our imperfections. Jesus sees what our God sees, our perfections, because he sees Jesus in us. You're not here today on your own terms. You're not here today because you've had a good week and you didn't watch porn this week. You're here today righteous in the presence of God because Christ has made us righteous. Amen for that? Man, that produces worship. Not just a killer base, but that produces worship. Leviticus chapter 6, 12 through 13, we're going to read it once on, on the, on the uh, preacher's voice, and then we're going to join together to read it together. It's the burnt offering, and I want you to think about this in terms of family discipleship. I want you to think about it in terms of what goes on in your home and the mechanics of that. We're not just talking husband, wife, biological mom and dad type families. Every single one of you are a family, and Woods Edge is a family of families. That's what a church is, all right? So I want you to listen to it. Uh, hermeneutics, the understanding of Scripture. Listen for what is repeated. Verse 12. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Church, join me with me right now. Let's read it out loud. I'm reading from the NIV. If you have an, another translation, Babylon. Here we go. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. 
The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Turn to somebody as you're seated right now and tell them that God has a word for him today. Would you do that? You may be seated. All right, that was some good holy mumble. You're not used to being preachers. Let me just add this. Today, you're not here for just a word to yourself. That's individualism, individual Christianity in America. We're here today to be a part of a family of families, right? And so that person that's sitting next to you that you might not quite know, who might not even smell well, is part of the family. And you need to be here with as much of your heart to them as you are about your own family. That's what church is, all right? If not, we could just stay home and watch it on TV. Anyhow, family discipleship and what goes on in the home and how do we create little laboratories of fire so that family fire might consume us. Uh, I want to give you three fire truths, and we're going to jump, jump into some radical application, all right? First truth that comes out of this is the fire must be kept burning continuously. You have an outline. I think maybe you're sitting on it if it's not in your hands. It might be cutting through your rear right now. But anyway, uh, grab that. The first truth in regards to family faith is spiritual fire must be kept burning continuously, interesting how God defines that? I love the adverb, continuously, is that spiritual fire inside our homes must be continuous. It it, it must burn. And, And dads and men, let me speak to you right now. You are the spiritual thermostat of your home. It's not Jeff Wells and Woods Edge responsibility to disciple your home. God has made you the father to be the spiritual thermostat of your home. It's great that we have Christian schools. It's great that we have Woodlands Christian. Woodlands Christian was not meant to do what God has called you to do. And we are responsible for that spiritual fire. Pastor, what does that mean? The love of Jesus to pervade every aspect of our life. For your children to know that God lives in my heart and in my house. For our children to know that the, what the playing field is. What does a first down look like spiritually? What does a touchdown look like spiritually? Those definitions come from a husband and a wife, from a single parent mom, from a single parent dad, from a single who is wrestling with the pressures of our culture. We must define what living faith looks like for our family. Can I, can I get a little bit of a response to that today? Amen. I'm in for that. And understand, I'm preaching conviction into my life. It's much easier for me to do public ministry out there than to do it in my own home. I'm ready to shut it down when I come home. But Jesus says, God says that the fire must be kept burning continuously. Number two, and understand each of these could be developed over the course of its own series. So we're just really hitting the high points. Number two, it is the priest's responsibility to keep the fire lit. First uh, Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says that for every single one of you that calls yourself a believer, you have a new identity. You're called a royal priesthood. I'm not talking about the coat and collar priesthood. I'm not talking about the position of a priest. I'm talking about the functionality of a priest. Is that you and I, because we're followers of Jesus, we are priests in our culture. We are mediators. We mediate God to people, and we mediate people's needs back to the Lord. That's what we are. We are priests. So dads, and I'm focusing on dads because this is an area that we need to to take responsibility in. 
Great men in business, great men in athletics, absentee fathers in our home spiritually. God has called us to be the family priest in our homes, to where we stand in there and we give out the marching orders and the plans and the script of what God's doing in our life. It's the priest's responsibility for that. Thirdly, I love this. This is so unique in this passage. Uh, Look at the end of verse 12. The priest, every morning, is to add firewood, and watch this, to arrange, arrange the sacrifice on the altar. Isn't that interesting? The point being is that the fire is directly proportional to the arrangement that the priest prepares for that. Said another way, the spiritual fires in our home, in your individual life, takes wisdom to present it and order it in such a way that it burns spiritually on fire because we've arranged it in a skillful way. Said another way, our families are the place where we arrange the spiritual recipe for vibrant faith in our homes. Amen for that? Amen for that. Um, At the end of last service, a friend of mine came up, gifted man, gifted man, professionally, he's one of the top 1%, said to me after the service, thank you so much for the message, I need help in what you're talking about. This dude's got four degrees that come after the end of his name, he's very known among his circles, and he came up to me at the end of the service and said, I need help in being a spiritual leader in my home. So being a spiritual leader in your home, whether that's a wife, a husband, a single, managing your own life, it takes great wisdom and great care to make that happen. And so what I want to do in the remainder of our time that we have right now, many of you have this book that you're sitting close by. It's called The Ten D's of Family Discipleship. Would you take that right now? The way that we did this is we got one for each family unit. So husband and wife, you guys get one. Single here today, you get one because you are a family unit. This is not just a message for biological families, even though it has a lot of energy for that, but it's a message for all of that. Let me tell you how this came about. For the last two years, I've been working in Ethiopia, and God really turned my world upside down in Ethiopia. I was a preacher, and preachers have this idea that if I just preach correctly, if I preach passionately, lives will change and will make disciples, and I was doing that for 20 years. My only problem was is that preaching alone cannot make followers of Jesus. So I got over to Ethiopia, and I realized that Jesus did it differently. Yeah, Jesus had a public preaching ministry, but Jesus also did what? He was a magnet for disciples, and he drew them to himself. And it was in the context of profound relationship that disciples were made. Did you hear me? It was in the context of profound and intimate relationship that disciples were made. And church, I have to tell you, my my life has been turned upside down. So that was one aha moment. The other aha moment were these mega Africa denominations. Eight million person was a denomination I was working with that had an intentional plan of making disciples. So I've been in that world and I've come back and about two months ago, as only wives can do, my wife said to me, and she's an amazing lady, she said to me, honey, I'm hearing a lot of discipleship talk. Shouldn't discipleship begin in the home? And me, being a very godly man, responded so positively. So I said, of course we're we're doing it in our home. We're praying before meals, and we eat a lot, so we must be praying a lot. And I got defensive and stormed off, and it happened again, man. She was right. So I limped back to her and said, you're right. You're spot on. We got to start. Two days later, she put together a book called The Ten D's of Family Discipleship. It's what you hold in your hand. 
So what you're seeing is something that's birthed fresh. And then when this thing came up, I look around and say, you know what? My buddy's right. We got all kind of education to be successful out there, but we don't have a lot of instruction about how we can make our home, our living fires at home, to become the places that God has for us. Does that make sense? So I want us to look at two or three or four. uh, I've got like four minutes left, but anyway. Let's look at some of these in the remaining time that we have to help us move in this direction. Uh, Use this booklet in two ways, for your own home, or you have a discussion outside the walls like Deborah, and you're down with Deborah. I love what she had to say about Wood's Edge. Wood's Edge doesn't uh, notice color. You have a relationship with somebody outside who's talking to you about just the travesty of their families. All right, bam, you pull your book out. You know what, I got something. Let's talk through this and take one of these and just work it through somebody around you. Number one, number one says, determined to be a disciple. You can't disciple your home unless you're a disciple. So therefore, the assumption is, what is a disciple? It's all over Wood's Edge. It's on banners out there, all right? I think Jeff Wells has a tattoo that says I'm a disciple. (laughs) But what is that? All right, let me make it very simple for you. A disciple is three things. Two of these are going to come from the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the other one's going to come from the great commission. All right? Great commandment, great commission. What is a disciple? A disciple loves God supremely. Write these down in your notes somewhere. A disciple loves God supremely. Of course I love God. No. To love God supremely means that the Lord is the Lord of your life in every area of your life. He's not the Sunday God that you pull out and you quit swearing on Sundays. To love the Lord your God with your whole heart means that Jesus invades your business practices. He invades the way that you drive. I tell you what, I can't stand driving in the woodlands. Every stoplight is a minute and a half too long, especially where we live. If you come down one road where we live, you got to give yourself 10 minutes to get a green. And I'm red by the time the thing gets green. I mean, I'm blistered. Anyway, that's another story. But that's an area of lordship. Lordship is an area of our sexuality. Lordship is an area of how we forgive. Lordship is an area of of how we deal with difficult people on the job. Lordship is an issue of how a husband relates to his wife in front of their kids. All of that is what? The buffet of where lordship takes place. Is there an amen in the church today? That's what it means to love the Lord your God. It just doesn't mean I come to church. It means I love God with every area of my life. Secondly, all right, it means to love others. I'm not talking about loving other people that look like you, talk like you, and act like you. The true sign of a disciple is that they love people that are different than them. Jesus loved the oddballs. He loved the outcast. He loved the Samaritan. 99 were in. Jesus was pursuing that one that was on the outside. Your sign of discipleship will be that you love difficult people. Your sign of discipleship is that God will call you to walk across your street to love somebody that normally you would not do. That is what a disciple does. Why? Because that's what our great Jesus did for us. Amen for that? So a disciple loves God and a disciple loves others. Are we finished? Is that a disciple? No. The third aspect ties into Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. A true disciple will what? Will make disciples of others. What does that mean? To transfuse into another person's of life the totality of Jesus that is in you into them. You got it? What does it mean to make disciples? To transfuse what's in you into the life of somebody else. Well, it's taken me years to do that. Exactly. Discipleship is not a one and done type deal. Discipleship takes a journey. So what is our threefold definition of discipleship? To love God. A disciple loves God, loves others, and what? 
pours his life into the lives of other people around him. Church, let me tell you this today. Jesus created a model that was doable. Would you say that out loud with me? Doable. Part of the way that we've done church is we've made church a very heady thing that's complex, that you've got to go to seminary with a lot of Bible information. Let me tell you, that that was not Jesus' plan. Jesus created a program that was doable for the common man. And his program was not built upon information, it was built upon obedience. Jesus was creating a discipleship model that could be done in homes by ordinary people that do have tattoos on their arms so that they can live out the life of Jesus around people like themselves. Amen for that. So if we are going to see that fire in our homes, it begins with fathers and mothers and singles today that say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ and I want to be a disciple in these areas. Does that make sense? You cannot disciple somebody else into something that you're not at. So you've got to decide to be a disciple. Number two, number two, uh, desire to disciple your family. Man, let me just speak to you today. Your kids already know what's important to you. Men, without opening your mouth, your children know what is important to you. Because it's all over you. You can't hide your heart. Our hearts express themselves into action. If your children watch you get passionate about Seahawks or the Aggies or whatever your team is, if your family watches you get up at 3.30 in the morning to go and kill the big buck in the hill country and you come back and you spend hours telling them about the hunt, they see that. And they also see a Bible that is never opened around the house. They never get to see their father's tears over his own spiritual condition. They never get to hear their father's dreams about what they want to do for the kingdom of God. But they hear about this ridiculous deer that stares at them over the fireplace every single night. You with me? My daughter's a ninth grader at one of the schools here in, in, in the Woodlands. I guess the only public school in the Woodlands, a ninth grade campus. She's had discussions about bisexuality at her lunchtime table from girls that are committed to bisexuality. Who's going to define that for them? Who's going to define what the playing field is and say, this is the way we play? We play with the script that comes from God. And let me say that to you. You can leave it. (laughs) Yeah, just hold it. Who's going to define what sexuality is for my ninth grader unless her mom and godly mom defines what godly identity is? Who's going to define for our boys what it means to follow after God if not their God-given role model, their father is in that place to do that? Amen for that? We are in some big-time challenge, and the problem is not in Washington with our president. The challenge is in right here in my own zip code of my heart in defining spirituality for my family. Number three, dedicate your time for discipleship. Uh, Ann and I are notorious in never scripting out Christianity in our home. I play quarterback and I like to audible, and we audible a lot. 
And I'm not here today to tell you you got to give it 45 minutes at 5 to 6.30 in the morning. If I do that, it's never going to happen for you guys. It has to happen, though. You've got to find some time in the midst of all the, the journey where it does take place. you got to make that happen. Let me give you some times that are important. Morning times are important before your kids go to school. We're on two different bus schedules at our part of the Woodlands, all right? We're trying to maximize that for both of our daughters. Uh, meal times are very important, especially the evening meal. Putting the kids to bed is very important. And I'll tell you, my wife is better at putting the kids to bed than I am because when it gets late at night, I'm ready to just to unplug and to go in there and to be a part of their life and to be a part of their spirits where they begin to process the day and they begin to talk about the stuff of their heart. That takes place right before they go to, to sleep at night. All right, and to maximize those times. I will tell you this in regards to time. If you give it a little bit, it will grow. Does that make sense? I'm not telling you how much time, but I will tell you this. I will be a prophet to you. If you give it a little time, it will grow, especially if you have girls in your house. And I got four of them, three called daughters, another wife. And when you start talking about the issues of life and it starts to surface that and you begin to speak into that, take your watch off because you begin to surface the things that really matter. I, I wish somebody had told me that when my oldest daughter went away to college, our whole family would be turned upside down. We had our oldest one that left to, to go to, to Baylor this year, and it's different. And so she came home this Christmas, and it was so good to get her back. Just so good to get her back. And so we, we had a couple times where we started at breakfast and finished at lunch, just around the table and, and over the context of egg casserole and talking about life. It just developed, and it developed, and we began to talk about the issues of the heart and things that were hard and things that, that, that are family issues. And before you know it, several hours had gone by, but we walked away from the table, what? Rich in spirit and love for one another and for the Lord. Amen for that? Some of you have experienced that, all right? In my home growing up, I had a really godly mother, and I remember she had this big chaise lounge. I don't know what a chaise lounge is. That's what it was. I don't even know how to spell it. But that's where my mom did business with the Lord. And it was on the other end of the house, and I'd get up early in the morning, and I'd go into mom's room. And that's where she would be, laid out in front of the Lord on her chaise lounge, talking to God, talking to God. And after that, I, I tried to figure out ways in which I could surprise her and beat her to when she was not in her chaise lounge. And I never, over the course of my lifetime, ever beat my mom to seeing her in that chaise lounge with her Bible open and her heart open to God. I had no doubt that our playing field had been defined at our home. My parents defined what a touchdown was. They defined what a first down was. They defined that we are all under this book together. It's not a separate set of instructions for the kids and one's for parents. We're all underneath that. Amen for that. Uh, last one, and then we're going to open our hearts up to the Lord. Number six, deal with the issues of the heart Deal with the issues of the heart. I'm going to make a strong statement right now. Christianity primarily is not a head religion, but a heart religion. Christianity is primarily not a set of doctrines that we believe in, i.e., look at our doctrinal statement on the, on the Internet. Christianity in the Jesus style was primarily a transformation of the human heart to be like Jesus Christ. 
My background was if we just put the right amount of information inside of a person, then they will output a Christian life. And understand, I believe in Scripture and doctrine is important, but doctrine without life change is nothing, is nothing. Christianity changes the heart from the inside out. Amen for that. So grace, this concept, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, how's that learned in our homes? I struggle with anger. I don't struggle with anger with anybody other than the people in my home. The reason for that is because only my people in my home can speak into my life well enough. Everybody else, you know, says nice things except when I get home. And I get angry. And I'm pretty loud and I do angry well. We got neighbors, and I've had to apologize to neighbors before because of my anger issues. And I've had to gather my family together, and I've had to tell them, I'm sorry. Your dad was awful today. Would you please forgive me? And as hard as that is to do, even though it's needed, and everybody knows that I need to do it in the family, as hard as that is, how are they going to learn about forgiveness in their own life if they don't see it evidenced by the Father that's in the house. Is there an amen for that today? Fathers, how are your kids going to learn about purity and walking straight if you don't teach them? Mothers, how are your girls going to learn about modesty and appropriate ways to dress unless you teach them what that is? Because if you don't disciple them, our culture will disciple them. That's reality. And so Jesus-based truth is, always has tension in it. The older I get to realize more and more Jesus brings tension. He brings comfort, but he brings tension. And it's in that tension that we model a life of Jesus Christ. Amen for that? Let me say this to you before we go to prayer. Let me give you an illustration and then a point and then we'll pray. In Africa, we, we had to build fires quite a bit. And you know I was not a Boy Scout. So fires for me were always a challenge. And then my wife wanted one, so there was expectation on it. So I had to get this baby burning. And I've learned a couple things about building fires, that if this is the big mother log that you want to light, and you have a little bit of kindling, a little bit of kindling can't burn the big, the big log. It requires intermediate logs. So the kindling catches on the intermediate log, which then takes on the mother log, and the thing is burning. Does that make sense? Great point, Boy Scout. What does that mean? It means in our homes that if we're going to light our children's big fire here, that they have to see their parents on fire for Jesus to get their life on fire for that. Many times I feel like wet wood. Many times I feel very ineffective. Today is not to be a slam day. Today is to be a day that Jesus Christ has lit me up because of the cross right there. And Jesus' blood ran deeply in him to us so that we might be the conduits of that same within our home. Amen for that? Church, Woods Edge, I want you to know today that what we're talking about is powerful. What we're talking about has life to it. What we're talking about today matters. But what we're talking about today is doable for every single one of us that's in here today. Amen for that? It's doable. It's doable. What, what, what do you mean, Pastor, it's doable? You need to have a conversation today in your home 
where you define for your family again and again what's important to your family. Our family is a Christian family, and it is unique, and it is different, and we base our identity and our values off the Word of God, not upon culture. Your family needs to hear that. Your family needs to hear that mom and I are under the Word of God just like you are, and we're not going to ask you to do anything that we're not going to do ourselves. They need to hear that. They need to hear you define that. Amen for that? So what we're going to do right now is we're going to break up into to family units, and we're going to pray right now. We're going to ask God for fresh fire in our life. We're going to have to ask God for repentance. You can't listen to the message I'm giving today without repentance. So we're going to break up into families, and we're also going to do this. If you're a single that's here today, you do not pray alone. Singles, I want you to find other families that you can be a part of because Woods Edge is a family of families together. And I want you to partner together, and I want you just to open your heart up to say, and say, God, Please restore the fire to our family. God, please restore the discipleship mandate to our family. God, we repent of being interested in things outside of our home more than what goes on inside. Our, I'm just giving you ideas, all right? We're going to do that. Worship team's going to come up here. While we're praying, worship team will play a little bit, and then after that, we can come up and take communion together, all right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll break up and do that. Join hands with somebody sitting around. If you know them, great. If not, it's a great way to meet them. We're going to pray with our eyes open right now. There's not a verse in Scripture that says close your eyes to pray. Jesus, I sometimes confess that somehow we've made Christianity too difficult. You want a love relationship with us and you want us to prioritize you in our life and when we do that, our life changes and it makes a difference. Lord, I acknowledge as a father today that Many times, my, my, my best game is outside my home rather than inside my home. And Lord, I, I just have to repent today that I want my best game to be the game inside my home and not outside. So God, help me to do that. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you give us the message. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage as the priest of our home to light the wood of our family's faith. Amen.